Amen. That's what we prayed for. We didn't pray about the Olympics. Hallelujah. That's good. Amen. Put that on seven zero, Gary. We good, Jonathan? I want you to uh, hear these verses. You don't have to turn to them. I just want to introduce the message this morning with four verses out of First Peter. Now, Pastor Mike is preaching this morning, and and uh, some of you have not yet got to meet him, so that'll be your chance this morning to meet him in the pulpit here, so to speak, the, the music stand as it is. In First Peter chapter 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 13 says, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 21, who through him believe you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Our, our belief, our faith is secure, it's strong, it's founded correctly. We're standing on solid foundations and you're blessed to know these things. In First Peter chapter 3, it says this in verse 15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts 
and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. It's one thing to feel secure, and it's one thing to know you're secure, and it's still another thing to be able to tell somebody else why you're secure. And I believe that God's putting us on a track to become very, very solid in what we believe and what we know and what we understand about him personally and about his word. And I'm appreciating the message this morning, and I'll let Pastor Mike introduce that to you and unfold it for you. But I just want to encourage you this morning that because you have this hope and you know your future is secure, and it's founded on the very word of God, Jesus himself, and this book, that you challenge yourself to go further than just being comfortable and secure in your own thinking or in your own heart or in your own faith. You begin to think about those who don't have this same understanding of who God is through the person of his son, and that you begin to develop the possibility of being able to give an answer to every man, any man, any woman, who would ask you for the reason of the hope that lies in you. Okay? Welcome, Pastor Mike. I'm excited to bring you the word this morning. The message is called God, and you're going to find out why in just a few minutes. But I want to pray and ask the Lord to help us this morning. Father God, I pray that you would use this time to bring revelation to our hearts and minds and our spirits this morning. I pray, Lord God, that you'd open up our eyes to see, our ears to hear, the reality and the truth of who you are. And help us, Lord, to get a greater revelation of your presence and your power today. Illuminate the word to us. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the title of the message is God. I find that questions that I've asked Christians and others throughout the last few months is, can you tell me who God is? I get very some some shallow responses. Well, he's the creator. He's the supreme being. Well, tell me more about God. And a few more words and it falls off into, I'm not sure of any more. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Same thing with Jesus Christ. I uh, had my Thursday morning cell. And it was about eight guys. And I said... Tell me who Jesus Christ is. I'm, I'm an unbeliever, and I just, uh, in a sense, I'm practicing on you. And, and uh, so one says, well, he's the son of God. So who's God? Uh, well, he came to, as your Savior. Save me from what? Save you from sin. I have no concept of sin. What is sin? And come down to it, the not very adequate explanation of who God was. So I had it on my heart for quite a while to bring you this message. First of all, I'm talking about the existence of God. The existence of God has absolutely been proven. It is provable, and it is not, uh, it's an absolute. I'm going to give you ten reasons why it's an absolute today. Start off with, first of all, the Bible does not go into detail about the existence of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament simply because 
the Bible assumes that every reader understands and knows that there is a supreme being, there is a God. So the Bible does not go into a great detail about why God exists or how God exists because it assumes that the reader understands. But we're in a time and day and age when those questions are needed to be answered. The existence of God can be proven, is proven, has been proven. And uh, concerning the biblical view of atheism, Psalm 14 verse 1 and, I, and Psalm 53 verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And this word fool in the Hebrew means morally deficient. Uh, and not only um, morally deficient, but depraved and, and moving in a direction of a choice against God and against all the proof about God to make a choice to, uh, to not have God at all. Second part I'm going to give you today is Ten, ten Objections to the Existence of God. And um, I must say it took me quite a while to find ten intelligent uh, objections. But I did. So uh, we're going to go first of all into the ten proofs, absolute proofs of the existence of God. First of all, reason proves the existence of God. And if I, if I was to take a whole hour on reason and the proof of God through reason, you know, it, it would not do it justice. Everything I'm telling you today is basically just a one-sentence introduction to everything that we could possibly talk about. There's so much. But there's the reason with, with one thing, cause and effect, that with everything, time... Um, everything we have, time, energy, matter, space, all demand a beginning. And I just want you to write down Hebrews 11, 1, and 11, verse 3, and 11, verse 6. And it says in verse 3 that God breathed by faith. God spoke, and the, wor and the worlds were formed. Well, everything had a beginning that, that we know. Cause, and the cause and cause and effect was God himself. You have no time, you have no space, you don't have matter, energy, you don't have the order of the universe or design or any of these things without beginning. And so just by logic, the first proof, there must be some cause to have such an effect. With the order of the universe, there's design, there's logical uh, order to everything from the creation of the universe to the creation of our body to the little bugs that we see to the dust mites in our bed that we can't see <laughs> to down to nanotechnology and all the things. There's, there's complex design requiring a designer. So logic and reason is the first proof that God exists. You mind that so far? Okay. Number two, the DNA of man. The DNA of man is within the DNA of man there is the knowledge of God, conscience, the need to worship, the need to pray, 
uh, the universal need for blood sacrifice, appeasement, atonement, even an impending judgment. All these things are built into the DNA of man. And just by virtue of the testimony of 6.5 billion people, you can, you can go along all these general introduction to spiritual conditions and what they believe in. Pretty much everyone who's honest, 95% of the planet will tell you that this is what they inherently know to exist. So the DNA of man. Ninety-five percent of humanity affirms everything that I've told you so far. So the affirmation of over six billion people uh, built within them says that there is a creator, a supreme being. Now the problem is that we need to bring people to Jesus Christ so that they can find the God, the Father. But nevertheless, my point is that 95% of humanity knows that there is a spiritual dimension. Number three, creation. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, tells us that we have no excuse if we view the universe and nature and, and all creation we can see the fingerprint and, the, and the, the fingerprint of God upon creation. Have you noticed things like, like uh, faces? Two eyes, a nose, a mouth. It appears in fish. It appears in shark. <laughs> Monkeys. Lizards. I mean, it's, it's plainly a God's fingerprint and on creation. Uh, reproduction. All, you can go through a ton of things and the stars and the orderliness of, of all that down to the, the bugs. You know, a little, little tiny, tiny little bug has a little face. A few, maybe more than two eyes, maybe a few eyes. And maybe a, maybe a few noses and a mouth. And, or maybe big teeth, who knows. You go to the depths of the ocean and see creatures that have Really, the fingerprint of God's creation. So creation tells it testifies to us that God exists, the spiritual world exists. Why? Because the Creator created within us the ability to understand that connection. Now I have a nice little dog. Her name's Rosie. She's 10 years old. Within her is not the ability to recognize nature and make that connection. Within Rosie's not the ability to logically uh, explain that there is a God. Within Rosie, there's n- none of the sense uh, uh, of, of things that we're talking about today because within us, God has made it possible for us to connect in thinking and feeling and realizing who He is. Through history, number four, every millennia, every century, every decade, every generation of civilizations all over the world and nations all over the world records some theistic visitation or intervention such as miracles. Every millennia, every century. Let that sink in. 
We say, well, nobody has seen God. Well, that's not true. Every millennia, century, generation, decade has recorded throughout the nations some type of visitation by God, some type of spiritual intervention, whether it be angels or demons or some type of spiritual activity. The spirit will exist and has been interactive with mankind forever. Number five. The scriptures record for us historical evidence from first-hand witnesses of visitations of God. Ezekiel chapter 1, you have Ezekiel's wonderful vision of the throne of God. Revelation chapter 4 or 5, John's spectacular vision of worship before the throne of God. Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 4, where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up and the glory fills the temple. Moses, who sees the glory of the Lord and from the backside and, and who spoke with God face to face. The Bible has first-hand testimonies that are spectacular. And, and not only spectacular, but they're believable because, especially in the New Te- on all the Old Testament and New Testament, they're written by first-hand witnesses who experience these things. So the choice is, do I believe atheists who graduated from high school and never experienced anything and uh, disbelieves in God, or do I believe the testimony of tons of people that have experienced the living God? It's a choice. Number six, personal testimony. What's your story? Have you experienced God through His personal touch, His presence, visions, dreams, experiencing miracles, healings? You hear His voice? I mean, what's your testimony? Can we put you on a stand and say, okay, you say God exists. What is your testimony of His existence? Unfortunately, a lot of Christians would be say, well, you know, your testimony is no more good than an atheist's testimony is invalid too because, you know, you really don't have a first-hand experience with God. Well, we need to change that, right? I, I, I even experienced God this morning. Well, how did I do well? I felt his presence. When I feel his physical presence, I feel a tingling and a sensation that comes over me. Uh, I feel a, an invisible t- rain type thing. Like I'm in the natural rain, but I know it's not experience. I feel a warmth. I feel... You say, well, you can't go by feelings. Well, that's true. But I recognize the feelings and where they come from, and I'm experiencing God. What's your story? How do you experience the presence and power of God? Okay, that was number six. The disciplines, number seven, the disciplines. Every science, archaeology, biology, chemistry, physics, quantum physics, astronomy, medicine, mathematics, theology, and philosophy, and myriads of others, 
have proven the existence of God? Every one of them. And if you want to know how mathematics, per se, has proven the existence of God, there's one thing in quantum theory and mathematics that's really interesting, is that how many dimensions do you think there are? Some people say, well, there's three, and maybe time is a fourth dimension, and, and the spiritual dimension is five. And Well, it's, mathematics has proved in quantum theory that there's a provable ten, and and 26 possible. And you say, well, how could that be possible? Well, we're not smart enough to know that, but it is possible, not only possible, it is proven. You know, and it's evidence that there are spiritual dimensions and other dimensions out there proven up to 26 that exist. Well, we just have a little speck of dust for a brain, so... You know, but it, it is nonetheless proof that God and the spirit world exists. How, how many love the thing of uh, How Great Is Our God by Lou, Lou, Louis Giglio? That was wonderful, right? Yeah. Laminin, isn't that wonderful? And all the greatness of God and the smallness and how God holds all things together. Wonderful. Science has proven, astronomy, that God exists. Number eight, language. Every language of reached people groups, unreached people groups, dialects, every language on earth, to which there are thousands, expresses the supernatural expresses deities, gods, supreme being, spirits, demons, angels, things like miracles, every language, everywhere. There is not a language on the face of the planet that does not have uh, words to describe the things that I'm talking about this morning. There's not a theistic language on the planet. What's that tell you about the testimony of man? It tells you that every language on the planet has testified to the existence of God, angels, spirits, demons, and experiences with them. Isn't that, it's pretty amazing, right? You can't find a language on earth that reflects atheism. Not one. Period. And you'll never find one among the unreached peoples group. Number nine, the universal standard of morals. Senses of good versus evil. Things like this require, require character design. Thought process, you know, being universal. Uh, you know, the universal thing is that, is that, if you kill somebody, it's murder, right? You know, even among the cannibalistic tribes that some of them might be even left in places like Indonesia and Philippines and places like that, South America. And, you know, before they eat somebody, there's actually a code of ethics as to who you eat and why. 
you know, they try to eliminate the thing like murder and killing for no reason. I mean, these are universal laws and morals that are built into man worldwide. And it's evidence that the handprint of God matches the handprint uh, of, of man because we are in his image and likeness. So redeemed or not, culture or not, religion or not, we all have the ability to connect with the mind of God. And that's only possible through Jesus Christ. Let me tell you that to make that connection the way God intended it, God said the only way I I can make that connection possible for you is to connect you through Jesus Christ. And that's another sermon, but let's go on. Number 10. It's proven according to judicial law in court. What does court demand? Evidence. Well, evidence is anything that would be on behalf of the uh, and ability to prove. So you'd have experiences, you'd have miracles, you'd have uh, just the testimony of probably over six billion people. All the things that I've brought to your attention so far, plus first-hand witnesses. Now, the existence of God, based on the ten things that I've told you so far, would be so overwhelming to a court in favor that it would be ridiculous not to dismiss it. See, absolutely proven. Absolutely proven by humanity and by uh, the, the centuries and by the sciences, by everything possible that God is. Okay, objections to the existence of God, ten of them. And by the way, it took me a long it took me a long time to find ten intelligent objections, but I finally found them. And um, first objection to the existence of God is God and the spirit world cannot be seen. Well, you know, I'm from Missouri, the state of misery. I was born there. Show me. Yeah. You know, unless you show me, I will not believe it. Thomas, unless I see, I will not believe. But you know, there are a lot of blind people on the planet that believe in God. Um, Eyesight, you know, is to believe based upon, or not believe based upon eyesight, is really shallow. Because how many of you can see uh, your wireless network as you go online. Here comes the truth project. I saw that coming. (laughs) By the way, the truth project is going to sell out today, so if you want tickets, please see me. I'm confident that my two or three left will go. And then we're going to show video uh, lesson three right after church. I encourage you to stay for that. But let's say, uh, what, you can name a thousand things that you cannot see that are real. And yet, so the argument by the atheists, just because, because they can't see it, means that it's not real, is, first of all, disproven by quantum theory. There's at ten dimensions that are real. Well, I'll never see any, I'll never see dimension six. Right, you never will. But it still exists. 
Okay, the second objection was the sphere cube theory or rock theory, meaning that the objection was that can God make a sphere that's a cube? Okay, set that aside. Can God make a rock so big that he cannot lift it? Okay, set that aside. Both of these objections say, well, if he can't, means he's not, not, um, not omnipotent, not all-powerful. And if he can, what's that look like? Well, there are some good objections to this, to this uh, thinking. First of all, God is not illogical or irrational. Nothing in this creation is, is uh, illogical. Meaning God didn't set up the universe and everything, the principles and all this, so that two and two equals five. You know, God sent rules and, and things in order to display his glory in an orderly, logical fashion. So to say, can God make two and two and five? Well, God... First of all, that fits into the Colossians and foolish arguments and the vain arguments and philosophies of this world that really... Um, but God is not like that. God is not a one for foolish arguments or illogical uh, reasoning. Secondly, if, it, if God could do and did do and would do these things, the atheists wouldn't recognize it in the first place. Human understanding of the transcendence of God, meaning, and I'll, I'll hold on to this word for just a minute, transcendence, because I'm going to get back to this in a few minutes, but looking from creation to judge and know the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God, and to be able to say, I can figure him all out, is really foolish. And then we're going to go to the eminence of God by which God has made that partially possible. And I'll show, share with you that in a few minutes. And then avoid foolish arguments and illogical reasonings and things that are meant in spirit to be uh, of unbelief. Because, you know... Uh, atheism has a problem with these type of illustrations, but I have a problem with the illustrations in the first place. Number three, this is a pretty good one, but the fact of evil and disasters in the world. You say, well, if God existed, why would a loving God permit any earthquakes, tsunamis, children dying, Famines, pestilence, wars. Why would a loving God allow the, these things to happen on the planet? But what the atheist does not understand is that is that the effect of sin through man's behavior in Adam 
had an incredible effect on this planet. Romans chapter 8 says that this planet groans waiting for the revelation of the sons of God to be revealed. I mean, this is a cursed earth. The atmosphere and things are not going to get better since the fall of man. So, what happened to the flood? At the flood, there was a catastrophic readjustment of the canopy over the earth and the floodwaters that broke out and it was a sh- slight shift in the polar caps. You have the four seasons and you have earthquakes and, and alignment of all these other things. And who's responsible for that? Shake your neighbor's hand and say you are. <laughs> <laughs> who's responsible for that? Satan uh, deceiving Eve, Eve giving in and and Adam, full knowledge, giving in to sin, giving the authority over the Satan. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 becomes reality that Satan is the god of this world, prince and power of the air. Am I fading in and out? Oh, okay. So, it is, it is terrible that we have all these things happening, but you can blame Satan, the demons, and man's sin for the results. You know, I happen to believe that uh, global warming, there might be something to it. I'm convinced there is something to it. Especially when I read an article that the North Pole this year will be, first time in recorded history, it will be without ice. That was amazing. Well, if you're going to blame it on pollution, you're going to blame it on man and his his technology and all that, don't put that thing on God. Man's responsible for a lot of things that happen on this planet. But the atheists would say, well, we're going to blame God the concept of God for that because we don't understand the concept of the other either. Number four, belief that evolution is true. It's fundamental to the atheist philosophy that evolution is the, the Bible, the absolute fundamental truth of the atheist. But evolution has been constantly disproved by the sciences of biology, chemistry, uh, paleontology, anthropology, and so on. Constantly disproved in favor of intelligent design. And we're going to see a contrast in that more and more as time goes on. For uh, evolution, Romans chapter one, verse twenty-one through twenty, verse twenty-one through twenty-three of chapter one, you know, exchange the glory of God for something made of animals, made to be like man, reptiles, and so on and so on. Number five. This is an argument that God, at best, is only a concept or an idea. What you need Him to be. He's not real, so we'll label him anything you need to be. Do you believe, you ask an atheist, some atheists will, I try to even fool you, say, do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. 
Well, if you don't question me any further, his God might be whatever he needs it to be within his own brain and might wind up being himself. An idea. But atheistic all, all along. A concept. Number six. The atheist would say, the idea of God diminishes my autonomy. Meaning, as one atheist said, the materialist is, is committed to opposing God because he is committed to the idea that he is an autonomous observer and the only interpreter of reality. No sovereign God. Don't want one. Don't acknowledge one. The atheist in rebellion says, I can't believe in God because that means I have a boss. I'm not autonomy. I'm autonomous. I am under the subjection of a sovereign. Well, yeah. We are. And you will be soon. You'll find out sooner or later. You know, like Carl Sagan, the, the uh, astronomer uh, in the 80s, uh, atheist. I said, well, you know, Carl's a believer now. Really? He died a few years ago. He's a believer. You know, God does not stop to exist because you have a different philosophy or because you choose to make a choice in rebellion against, opposing against nature because you don't want a sovereign over you. Well, you're going to make that sovereign one way or another. Now, number seven, if God exists, he should have laws and balance to prove his existence. Okay. That's their, one of their objections, is that God does not have laws and balance, balances in universe and nature to prove his existence. Sit down with me for an hour. We'll give you plenty. How can you know? It comes down to this. We have compassion for this type of use because the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers so they could not even see what is logical, what is real, what has absolutely been proven, what is without question reality. Satan has blinded the eyes so that they would even believe a lie. They would even believe the foolish. They would even believe the senseless. Number eight. God is not a person. God is energy. Well, you can see that in Luke Skywalker, the force be with you. Well, force is like 220 or 110. No, we're talking about force, you know, energy. The problem with the con the, the, that concept is it does away with a supernatural being, a transcendent God who is uh, beyond his uh, creation, and it makes him just a thing. 
Number nine, the imagination of man is capable of creating God in his own likeness. And number ten, attitude. James, an atheist, said this, God does not exist after all because he does not exist in me since I don't need him at all. We are all products of evolution and nothing more. It's an attitude. It's a decision. You can sit down with this person till Jesus comes back with all the facts of the planet and they'll walk away as an atheist because of their attitude. Okay. Are you with me so far? Because I'm not done. There's two words I want to give you today. The transcendence of God and the eminence of God. They give us a, a somewhat more complete understanding of who God is. Well, the transcendence, I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25 and 26. To whom, Isaiah 40, 25 and 26, To whom will you compare me? Or who will be my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength and not one of them is missing. Now the astronomer Hubble in 1929 discovered that the Milky Way was one of billions of galaxies. Up to that point, Einstein understood, and the rest of the science understood, that the Milky Way was the expanse of the universe. That was as large as the universe became. But when I, um, just in Los Angeles, I think, Mount Wilson or somewhere down here, uh, Einstein came and visited in the hills of Pasadena, and saw for himself through the through Hubble's telescope there, not the spacecraft, but you know it's named after him, Edwin Hubble, and he showed Einstein that there are billions and billions and billions of galaxies, mostly bigger than our galaxy, and our galaxy is uh, over a hundred billion stars. And each galaxy up there is 100 billion, 200, 300 billion stars in billions and billions and hundreds of billions of galaxies. And God knows every one by name. Every location, every... Everyone. Everything. Like Blue Giglio said, according to the scripture, he's a star-breathing God. Magnificent. Now, transcendence means to literally climb, climb across is defined as exceeding the usual limits. God in his transcendence is above and beyond us. The creator is infinitely, infinitely greater than his creation. Self-existent. 
self-existent. God had no beginning. Well, don't let that fry your little brain. You're a creature of time. You know, you are a creature. You are in this time. You matter, space. But God never started. God never ends. God's greater than His creation. God's greater and bigger than the universe as we know it, or maybe the billions of, of universes beyond that. Who knows? God's, God passes the limits of His creation. One of the proofs of God, it's not in the list, but is God is greater in person than you could, you could even possibly dream up. And he could equal that. I mean, he could, he's greater than that. He can, he can take that all in and understand, and he is far greater than that. Eternal, self-sufficient, without limits. The omnis, omnipresent, ever-present, omnipotent, all-powerful. All-powerful, om, omniscient, all-knowing. Omnibenevolent, God of love. God is spirit, Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 24. Not limited by time, space, energy, or matter, and not confined to a time-space continuum. The transcendence of God can be described, but understanding has the limits of creation. A limited understanding of God's transcendence, transcendence, even our limited understanding, causes us to worship. I mean, the revelation of God's transcendence makes you want to stand and worship God, praise God. And I was taking the church through that last night a little bit, and one of our recovery guys, so proud of me, so stands up and says, God rocks! <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we don't have to get religious about our praise. We just need to praise Him and adore Him and worship Him for who He is. And if, the, if all you know is God rocks, well, rock on! <laughs> I highly recommend, however, the language of the Bible. <laughs> holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Great, mighty, almighty God. But if you, if you don't have that, rock on. <laughs> Give God glory and honor. He's the transcendent God. I love my recovery people. Yeah, incredible. He is sovereign, absolute sovereign. You cannot imagine another sovereign or else that sovereign would be God. God is the absolute sovereign. He's awesome. You know, when the English use awesome, they use it exclusively in their language in England of God. It's never used of, well, awesome, dude. Well, you know, you parked your car right? Awesome. <laughs> oh, you finished your Cheerios? Awesome, baby. <laughs> no. The word in England is exclusively used of the awe of God, being awestruck by God. The old English word used to be awful, but we know how that translates in our society. You know, you're an awful guy. 
Well, it's not quite the same as awesome guy. <laughs> you know. But a man full of awe, full of wonder. I would say that uh, when you use your vocabulary sometimes in slang, reserve some of these words for God. You're an awesome God. God, I'm not going to call anybody else awesome because you are the one. I'm not going to hold you to that, but it's an idea. <laughs> full of glory, full of majesty. The transcendence of God holds all creation together like laminin. If you're with me. God is the absolute source of life in creation, including eternity. In other words, if, if it was possible, it's not possible that God ceased to exist, you would vaporize. Because God holds everything in his creation together. Every cell, everything in creation, and, and in heaven, on earth, everywhere is held together by God's presence. Whew. Hold on to that one. <coughs> Transcendent God is absolute truth, absolute power, presence, majesty, in knowledge, he's infinite, eternal, holy, perfect, without error. Absolute good, righteous, the cause in cause and effect. He's creator, sustainer, indestructible, without equal, immutable, unchangeable, absolute right, true to his character and nature, the only being worthy of distinction as God, and worthy of worship. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He's worthy. You will not be a worshiper until you can get a hold of the transcendence of God. Even in the limited sense that I'm talking about today. Because when it touches your heart that God is almighty... You're going to glorify Him as such. Amen? There's another word that I want to bring you to this morning. Eminence. Please hold on to this word, eminence. And turn to one, Psalm 139, verse 5. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful me for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night and will shine like the day, and the darkness is as light to you. The literal meaning of imminence is to be within, to be, to be near. God is closely related to his creation, and relationships specifically to mankind, who is designed in his image and likeness. God is near to us. Deuteronomy 4, verse 4, 5 and 7 says that 
We don't have a God as far away like other nations, but a God that is near to us when we pray. And if you get a hold of this, the imminence of God, the reality of God, the presence of God, and the nearness of God, and the, and the fact that God is within you through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit is in you. Colossians 1, 26 and 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you can realize that, then you'll be more apt to pray. You'll be more apt to fellowship with Him. We're more apt to say, God, I'm listening to your voice. Don't be ever afraid to say, somebody, somebody says, you know what, God never, I never heard God speak. Well, I have. You need to find out how that works. I hear him speak to me through his word. I hear him speak to me through prayer. I am speak to me through the body of Christ. I am speak to me through my conscience. You know what? If you go to do something wrong, you're going to hear God loud and clear screaming in your ear. You do that and you're going to be in trouble. They say, oh, is that the voice of mommy or is that the voice of God? Chances are it's the voice of God speaking through your conscience. I'm funny today. Uh, uh, and you know, I can't be funny through the next part because it's really good. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm totally entertainment. <laughs> Through the eminence of God, we can know the transcendence of God. The transcendence of God is incomprehensible and beyond searching out. Yet, He has revealed Himself to us through His Word. If you have a little bit of revelation of God, it's because you have a little bit of the Word of God. If you want more revelation of God, you're going to get into the Word in a greater dimension. It's been revealed to us through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1.3 says it's the exact representation of the Father. As you see the Father, Jesus Christ has displayed who the Father is by walking on, the, on this earth. Displaying His character and nature. Displaying His attitude. Displaying His heart. It's revealed through the Holy Spirit who now speaks to the church and guides the church and inspires the church. It's speak, God's closeness and eminence speaks through His creation. It speaks through the DNA within, within us, as we talked about before. And it speaks to us through the power of faith. You know, my, my lovely little dog does not have faith. You know, animal kingdom, the world, does, is not capable of having faith. Only humankind 
in the image of God is able to have faith because it's by faith that God did all these things and he's put faith within us so that we're able through this thing called faith to connect to him. God is infinitely personal, omnipresent. He is love. Compassion, mercy, grace, forgiving. He's our Savior. He's our Father. He's our Comforter and a Healer. He dwells within us as the King, our Friend, and our Shepherd. He's our Judge and our Atonement. He's walked with man ever since the Garden of Eden and various manifestations, always. He counts our hair, numbers our days, watches our coming in and our going out. He knows our needs, answers our prayers, visits us in ways we can understand, and we are his children. He calls us by name. And he alone knows your heart and mind. You see, Einstein never understood the eminence of God. He understood the transcendence of God, proved that. He never understood the eminence of God. We have Hindus and philosophers and, and pantheists and things that God is in the woodwork, God is in the telephone, God's in the bushes, God's in you and me, and God's there. They understand the eminence of God, but they don't understand the glorious transcendence of God. You see, we serve one living God. Incredible God. And don't let any fool tell you that God does not exist because they don't know uh, anything that they're talking about, but you have the knowledge and you have the relationship and you have an understanding of the transcendence and eminence of God that possibly can bring somebody else to the Lord. Let's stand.